0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Another episode of the Modern Mobile Oil Field has arrived. And if you purchased a copy of Bits, Bites, and Barrels, you may be a little bit confused as to why this episode exists. Well, we only briefly brushed over just the surface of chapter two of Jeffrey's book. So there are still four other chapters for you to experience. And like in the case of this episode, a whole world of digital tech topics to further dissect. Also, before we get into it, I really do recommend you check out the YouTube channel. I know episode one featured a rather dimly lit Tavis and a camera that was far too close to my face with absolutely zero editing, but we've come a long way in the series thanks to Jeffrey's help and we've incorporated more and more visual aspects every episode and even we've tried to build a slide deck this episode. So you can just listen to the podcast, but I think you're going to be missing out on lots of the conversation and it won't be nearly as entertaining. But that's all for housekeeping. And it is time we get into the meat and potatoes of this interview. Jeffrey, are you still with us or have I put you to sleep at this point?
1: I'm I'm still, I'm still all here and in one piece. So (laughs) yeah, no, no, no sleeping for me.
0: Perfect. All right. So for those of you who read the title, you know, today we are talking about the data monster. We've got this big intimidating beast that we're trying to conquer. And first I'd like to start with the importance of data quality. So first things first, Many more machines and sensors are being added to every part of an organization, and we're just generating massive amounts of data. The further we progress into the modern era, how has this type and volume of data changed over the last few decades?
1: Well, it's, it's changed uh, dramatically uh, just between, and this is just an estimate of, of, um, of volume of data, but between 2019 and 2025, uh, it's estimated that the volume of data stored and recorded will, will grow by 400%. And uh, in 2018, the world purchased uh, something in the area of 800 billion gigabytes of disk storage. Yeah, I mean, it's phenomenal. A a single square inch of uh, disk platter now, like just storage space, a single square inch can store 1000 gigabytes of data. So the the storage uh, technologies, the amount of data we can cram onto a tiny little uh, square uh, the sheer amount of storage being purchased is just skyrocketing. So, and that shows no end in, no end in sight. Uh, and so, uh, and along with that sheer volume of data, the range of data being captured and stored is going up. <clears throat> Photographs, videos, uh, sound, uh, podcasts, uh, meeting recordings on Zoom. Like it's, uh, it, it's, uh, the range is is also dramatically changing. And as we add more and more sensor technology into the world, the billions and billions of connected devices, we continue to accumulate uh, phenomenal quantities of information.
0: And then, of course, we've got, like you mentioned, huge volumes, different types. But what about the quality of this data? This is the modern mobile oil field. After all, we're trying to put it to work for us. How does the quality play a role in just analytics or even in organizations decision making?
1: Well, data quality is actually quite critical. Uh, and we can see this in, a, in our, our political world where uh, the reign of alternative facts uh, has actually distorted quite dramatically um, the, the world into um, parts that, that believe one set of facts and the part that believes another set of facts. And uh, so uh, in the business world, we don't have a lot of, uh, we don't have a lot of room for alternative facts. Uh, either the machine is on or it's off. And <laughs> uh, so we can't we can't have a in, in an industrial setting you, you we are highly reliant on the quality of of information so that we can make effective decisions uh, so uh, the qu- quality is really really critical you can, you can imagine a day where you know you can, uh, in a uh, autonomous driving world as just an example uh, the, uh, the chaos that would ensue if the sensors on a car were unable to Detect or couldn't pick up or wouldn't react to a, a visual stop sign if it said oh, I don't. I don't believe that's a stop sign. I think it's a yield <laughs> sign. So I'm just going to ignore it, and and I'll, I'll and I, I have the right of way because it's uh, under the driving rules. I don't have to yield uh, in this in this instance. we'd have chaos. So we we can't we can't tolerate that in in an in an industrial world. So data quality, particularly as we get into the world of robots and autonomousness, is is going to, have to is going to have to be very 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 high.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, of course, huge implications for the entire world. But what are the greatest impacts that will come from data quality with respect to the way it will affect the digitization and implementation of new tech within the oil and gas sector?
1: Well, I, in, in the, I'll just using a simple example from an, an experience um, I'm aware of with a Calgary uh, company. And, and, um, and so there was, uh, and the situation here was the calculation of uh, royalty. And the royalty was based on the volume of product that was being produced by these, this producing well. And uh, so there, there was a, a pump that was pushing the uh, product to the surface, and then there was a gauge there that was measuring how much volume of, of petroleum uh, crude oil was flowing out of that particular well. And, uh, uh, and the, the tolerance acceptable in the industry at a mechanical level is plus minus 5%. and. Uh, but that's, you know, when you start thinking about it on a very macro level, plus minus 5% is a very, very, um, it's a, that's a big range. Like imagine if you were flying an aircraft and the pilot said, I'm gonna be plus minus 5% on touchdown here. I might miss the <laughs> runway by, by 5%, we'll be okay, right? I, no, that's, that wouldn't be tolerable. So in, 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 we have built into oil and gas, all kinds of variables and variances that, that have historically been very acceptable. In, a, in what I would call a human-based mechanical world, where we can make all kinds of adjustments, but when we move to a world that features a lot more autonomousness, um, that that that's that variability um, is uh, is actually quite a problem because it uh, it affects all of the downstream processes and the the accounting and the financial value that that ensues from from data. And that's just one example. This repeats itself over and over again throughout throughout the sector.
0: Mm-hmm. And I like how you mentioned the aspect of moving into the future. So for oil and gas, what kind of existing data does oil and gas have that would actually be considered relevant and therefore be worth preserving and digitizing as they move forward? Or is there a lot of junk that we even need to get rid of too?
1: There's quite a bit of junk, actually. Uh, Data without context isn't very useful. Uh, so, uh, so you have to preserve the context where the data was uh, sourced so that the, you, can, you can use it and, and treat it in a, in a, within a, uh, a range of, of a, uh, or a situation where you can say uh, that context is the same as this context, therefore the data I have from that context is a reliable indicator, maybe useful in this context. Absent the context, you have a problem. And a great deal of data that we store uh, in, in, in life in general uh, lacks, lacks that context. So there's the first, uh, first challenge is, is the, uh, the setting and the context within the, which the data was collected. Uh, second is uh, if the devices w- themselves were not reliable or they weren't tuned correctly to collect information uh, or if the information of the, uh, was, was, had, was subject to a lot of manual manipulation so you could change it quite a bit, uh, then you really got to question whether or not there's a lot of value in, in, in keeping that. I tend to look at, uh, in, in paper records or manual records, data that is, is consulted frequently. That kind of, um, that kind of data becomes, or, or information asset, is something that could really benefit from, from digitization. And a good example of that are contracts. We, you, know, you, you sign a contract with a supplier in oil and gas to do a service. And uh, if you're constantly looking, going back to the contract to read the terms, to see what what's the agreement was, even if it's just once a month, that contract becomes something that could really be really a benefit from being put into a more digital state.
0: And then we've looked at things from a very, very large scale level, but I'd like to break down into the nitty gritty, if you will, as we move forward, starting with two terms that often get used interchangeably and incorrectly, those being large data and big data. Would you be able to put an end to the misconception and break down those two terms?
1: Uh, yeah, for sure. So um, the, the way to think about large data and big data uh, is in the, ver- the, the, the range and types of data that are incorporated in that. So the way I think about uh, big data uh, is that um, uh, large data and big data, large data relates to uh, imagine a, a super large spreadsheets or very large data sets but they're very they're well organized they're well structured i uh, think of um, you know a, a spreadsheet with lots of rows and uh, rows and columns where you get into the billions and billions and billions of rows the columns are all well understood but it's just the the sheer number of rows creates the processing uh, challenge of how do you process or, or absorb all of that information and so that's when i think of of, of data that's what i call large data now when we talk about data uh, that's where the range of data is uh, considerably greater so in the context, you think about um, uh, a, um, a a social media profile for instance or if you're Facebook and you're processing um, uh, all of the information coming in you've got photos you've got videos you've got uh, metadata you've got commentary you got social media posts these these are all very and they're very, some of them are quite squishy, you know. Like it's it's if you look at a social media post, you have to interpret it to go well. What's the emotional tone here and what's it really talking about? Is there a hidden meaning? Uh, the, this data is much harder to kind of process in a in a systemic way, and and the range can be huge, can be very very dramatic and so when 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 we talk about large data we talk about these sort of fixed and coherent data sets when we talk about big data we talk about this huge mess of stuff that's much much harder to 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 process and figure out you know where where are the quote the hidden truths
0: and then as i'm sure we've all (laughs) learned by this point in the modern mobile oil field oil and gas as an industry isn't usually the first mover for implementing digital technology so i'm sure there are still plenty of people in that large data sector so what are the current trends in oil and gas for dealing with these huge quantities of data, especially for preparing systems that require large volumes of quality data like AI and machine learning?
1: Well, the first challenge, of course, is uh, when you think about the, uh, the, for an uh, application where it's, in, it's machine learning or artificial intelligence, is, it, the, is, is where did the data come from that you wish to push into these engines for processing? And so, of course, if it's historical data and that data is a a spreadsheet somewhere has come out of a, a historian, uh, then um, your first challenge is uh, the sheer volume of it, so it's a lot. Uh, secondly, th- sometimes machines—you know—you get a s- tiny voltage shift somewhere in your mechanical process, and the data that you're going to record will have this little spike in it because it's of that. So you have to find and, and remove all of those curious little outliers that are are actually not true indications of of uh, say a process uh, integrity, but much more related to an environmental effect, like an, like a like a voltage uh, ping. And so you have to, have to kind of sweep your data out of that noise. <clears throat> Otherwise you end up, you can imagine if you have a, a data set with, with uh, an, a, a, a couple of outliers, it can skew your analysis towards your outliers. And uh, which, so what you want to do is remove those first. There's your first uh, challenge. <clears throat> How do you identify and, and remove um, the outliers without distorting the, the balance of the data? That's mm-hmm. a challenge then uh, uh, how do you um w- when you we bring in your data how do you bring it in and ingest it and massage it so that it can fit the needs of your artificial intelligence engine it's another another challenge uh, you have to go through this ingestion process and a massage process to take the data and make make it fit and there are a number of mathematical techniques proven <clears throat> techniques to do this to uh, ensure that your data is not distorted in the process of even moving it into your analytic engine. And so when, when people are, 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 are data scientists are working in these problems, these are just a couple of examples of the sorts of things that have to be thinking about. It's just not so simple as, oh, I'll take the spreadsheet and drop it into my engine and I'm good to go. No, there, there's usually a bit of manipulation and massaging and and some mathematical processing you have to go through.
0: Yeah, definitely a lot of effort goes into refining that data. But Are all data systems equally sensitive to the quality of the data? I mean, in more relaxed terms, can I feed low resolution and potentially incorrect data into one system, but up my standards when feeding it into another?
1: Yeah, uh, in uh, there are some systems are are going to be extremely sensitive to quality, and 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 so the short answer is no. You simply can't be feeding junk uh, through, and you can imagine, a, say, take a nuclear reactor. You know, you're, you're, if you've got some some data coming out of a a temperature gauge, you know, it's got to be accurate. Like you can't be sending nonsense into uh, in, into uh, that kind of processing engine. The the, the risks are simply too great. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other processes where you know, it's actually not, it's not such a big deal if, if it's off uh, a little bit. Uh, so uh, an example of that is um, t- take a mapping application where you're doing a map. If you're just planning your journey to, you know, from, from, say, uh, you want to travel from uh, uh, New York to San Francisco, do you really need to know every square foot of your journey or do you just go, oh, I'm going to take Highway 95 and, mm-hmm. and the interstate system and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there? How, how precise do you really need to get? So, so the answer is no, not, not all decisions and all processes have to have the same precision um, of data. I think of your pilot flying that airplane, you know, you don't want to be plus minus 5% on landing. Mm-hmm. No, 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 you want to be precise. You can't have a pilot saying, oh, ah, we might more or less get to Memphis today. No, <laughs> no, no, I, I bought a ticket to get to Memphis. You got to get, to, get me to Memphis. Same same thing in many systems. They, they can the, the, the altitude the pilot is flying at may be important for him. Uh, in in terms of uh, fuel consumption, um, but do the passengers care? Mm. It's not really so. Same thing with many systems. They're they're going to be pretty insensitive to the to to some data, and they're going to be very sensitive to others. And the quick trick is to know which which is which.
0: Mm. Clearly, some systems very sensitive to that, but also human error. Does that ever play a significant role when we deal with this data, or is it sometimes better to have a pair of two organic eyeballs going through everything?
1: Uh yeah, I, I, sometimes it's it's very true if you think about um, certain applications where you know you want a set of set of eyes on things, certainly processes which are what I would call early stage in in terms of automation. You, you'll definitely want a pair of of uh, smart eyes staring at it to make sure that it's working correctly. So as an example, imagine you, you you've invented a, a robotic process to take a, say inbound transactions into into your business, field tickets from the field in oil and gas. And so your your robotic process tool takes in these tickets and picks the relevant data off the ticket to populate your accounts payable engine so that you can properly pay your supplier. And uh, the first time you do this, uh, if you haven't programmed the RPA just correctly, it might misallocate the costs, it might uh, 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 send the um, uh, invoice uh, fees or the, the, the payments to the wrong supplier. So you want to set an eyeball staring at that as you first program it out to make sure that it's correct. But once it's run several thousand iterations and it's and it's doing fine, that's the sort of thing to kind of go, all right, let's just step back and, and we'll react only to the things that, that are true variances from what we think it should do. Mm-hmm.
0: And I like how you're mentioning more and more applications to business specifically. And oh, yeah. has data transformed the way companies report to investors and lenders? I mean, I don't mean to insult the, the bigwigs of the 1800s and the 1900s, but I imagine a lot of their decisions were made very differently than we do today, thanks just so like you say, the pure volume and eventual quality of data that's being reported.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about it. The uh, original uh, financial statements that may have been provided you know, back in the early days of my career. Uh, I remember where we, uh, the, the, we're, if you're implementing a, a financial system, the, the, the data of which would go to your investor. If you're implementing a financial system, you were very happy if you could get to a, you know, a 90-day close. You could close the books in once a quarter. <laughs> wow, that's pretty good. Uh, But as we put in enterprise tools, we've that close moved up to a 30 day close to a one week close. And now it's same day or near instant. And uh, so the investors are getting highly reliable, very fast data uh, about uh, business performance that that is much more reliable than than it had been in the past and wasn't subject to nearly as much um, manual manipulation. So are they are they getting better quality data? Absolutely. Are they getting different kinds of data? Well, let's just think about environmental, social, and governance measures now. Those are now coming out as part of your your financial uh, stewardship. Um, Your your risk analysis, your forward projections are now subject to all kinds of uh, additional processes internally to kind of move them forward. So, yes, investors are definitely benefiting from this wave of of, uh, uh, drive to get to higher quality financial information.
0: And then certainly all of this data is playing such a huge role in the way systems, people, and processes change and evolve. But where do we grow from here? Will there be another evolution in the way we collect and manage this data? Or is it just going to continue down the road of getting more and more of it? And then the points of resolution become finer and finer. I mean, is there another evolution, another point? Or is it just standard growth?
1: No, I, I personally believe that we um, are, are running at the edge of, of um, the, the the ability of many organizations to manage their their, their data sets and their, um, their 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 data holdings. And uh, so um, it, it, we all—you can personally experience this. Uh, I, I mean, if I pop open my my mobile phone right now and I look at the number of photographs I've accumulated over yeah. the years, and you know, the phones don't—they pr- provide you great tools to um, organize those photos. You know, and the same thing in business—you can organize your data in a variety of different ways. But but we tend to accumulate and not get rid of of um, of, of these these kinds of uh, uh, data data points in our in our in our personal lives. It's the same thing in business. And so the tools we use to manage um, ever-growing mountains of of, um, information uh, are are, are themselves going to have to evolve. And of course, you know, the role in that, you can see it already in artificial intelligence tools, like in our our photographs, our AI tools can now go through the photographs and pick out all the photos where, you know, a certain person appeared. That's an AI application, recognition technology. Imagine bringing that technology into your business context where you can uh, begin to search for relevant documents historically that, that uh, meet certain sets of criteria. Uh, and uh, that uh, that kind of uh, inf- um, I- smart assistant or AI-enabled assistant on top of all of your data holdings, I think, is where this has to go, just so we can cope with the, the, the volumes. Mm-hmm.
0: And then as we've talked about both business and big data at that point, I'm curious to see if we will ever see an age of data coordination. I mean, of course, in the past it's been nice to have a secret sauce, if you will, a sort of data set or trend that your organization observed, acted on, and protected. But I'm feeling that if we can pool all of this data and make use of big data to analyze it, there could be a benefit, could there not?
1: Oh, there would there would definitely be a benefit, but the, the there's also some significant trade-offs there. Uh, If you're in, if you're a, and I use a a technology supplier of some kind to, to, to any industry, not just oil and gas, but your, what makes your product differentiated could very well be the data that your, 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 your um, technology uh, captures and processes and presents to your customer, you know, kind of a tableau or or a dashboard setting. Why, if that's your differentiating feature, why would you share that or coordinate that with your competitors? Very good question. You need, you need to have a good solid um, uh, uh, thinking around how you're going to generate value from, from, from that process if, if you do that. So that's your first barrier. It's his natural tendency to see this as a competitive, uh, competitive problem. Um, but um, there are movements in oil and gas to to get beyond this in some critical ways. Uh, in in the United States, for instance, in Houston, there is a movement called the Open Subsurface Data Universe. It's a collection of companies who are all involved in in uh, either collecting, managing, or dealing with subsurface data How about reservoirs. And uh, the the this movement is working hard to. Uh, find ways to standardize the understanding of that data because it enables businesses in the in the industry to buy and sell those resources much more easily. If you if you just got a map out of, of Midland, Texas, you know you just sort of look at, go go to Google and zero in on Midland Midland, Texas, and then just scan around. You can see uh, the uh, the the all of the oil and gas wells uh, down there. And the problem is if you then overlaid a map of who owned what, it's highly fragmented (laughs) and very costly to run it that way. So the OSDU is working to figure out how do we we make it easier for companies to buy and sell these assets uh, so that they can aggregate and build larger um, commercial properties, which are more economic. Uh, And how do you get there? Got to standardize the data. Otherwise you can't can't easily uh, figure out the, the valuation of those resources.
0: And I like that vision of the harmonious future, but it's time we get into the actual monster of this episode so we understand how we are absolutely swimming in this data and what can be afforded when we finally do tame it. Where are the easiest places to start with this data?
1: Um, well, the, the, I think the easiest place to begin is probably in um, uh, the, the cleaning up the data assets that, that, that you have. Uh, l- let me pull up a, a, a slide to kind of illustrate what this means. So we have uh, some of the many challenges of, of, um, of uh, de- dealing with, uh, call it the data monster, or where, do you, where do you begin? Uh, starts with uh, having an understanding of <clears throat> what the data assets are that, that, that you actually have and trying to decide and determine where there is value. So uh, once a, um, and a good example of this, let's imagine you're buying a company and, uh, and and coming along with that uh, that purchase is the historic uh, emails that have gone on or that are part yeah. of that uh, part of that transaction, uh, in or, or the, the data set data sets that are on the dish, uh, um, uh, uh, computerization of that particular company. There's going to be a lot of uh, what 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 I call um, uh, redundant uh, data, obsolete data, uh, trivial data. And uh, so certainly one of the things you want to do is begin to uh, identify where the, and I call it rot, where the rot is in this data, redundant, obsolete, and trivial data, and figure out you know, how do you clean that up and how do you get, how do you get rid of it. That's a, a major um, a move that, that companies uh, typically have to have to tackle. Uh, another, another challenge in here is, uh, and I'll use it, go back to uh, paper contracts as an example. Uh, you, you buy a company, it comes with um, filing cabinets of paper contracts. Like, so w- what do you do with those? Uh, uh, there was um, a Husky, um, uh, um, Husky uh, uh, Energy Company here in Calgary. Uh, it purchased a US oil refinery a couple of years ago. I remember talking with the, um, the, the manager who bought the refinery, and I said, So, what's happening? How, what, how are you handling the data that's coming across? And he said, Oh, that's going to be uh, two containers of paper, uh, two 40 foot containers of boxes of paper, uh, describing shipping that oil containers, refinery.
0: not just a, a box.
1: No, no shipping containers, I mean, <laughs> 40, foot, 40 foot sea cans. These, this is what's going to show up uh, at close with all of the, the historic records about that asset. You gotta believe one, there's gotta be a, there's lots of redundant and trivial nonsense in there. Some of the reports are gonna be clearly obsolete because the, the you know, they will describe an asset that's part of the refinery which no longer exists. And then what do you do with that data? Do you scan it all in and, and process it? Uh, I, I remember the conversation with them and, and the answer was, no, we're not, we don't, why would we scan in stuff we don't know whether it has any value? So we're, we're not, we're not going to do that. And uh, so the, the, the tendency in this industry is, is not, to, not to proceed with, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of handling that, that, taking on that scanning task as being a, a low value activity. So the, the key here is to identify where there is likely value and then proceed. I'll draw a distinction, though, compare uh, Woodside Petroleum in in Perth to um, Husky in in their oil refinery. Woodside scanned in uh, 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 all of the legacy documentation it had had accumulated over the years related to the Northwest Shelf and put that into an IBM Watson accessible database so that they could query the database to find the documents. I'm pretty sure they, uh, they, they would have uh, in the process of, I, mean, I haven't asked them this, but I'm pretty sure in the process of setting up that database, they would have figured out, okay, scan this document, but don't scan this one and get, get down to, a, uh, get down to a, a reasonable number. But once you've, got, you've, you've reached that sort of stable point where you're in op, you're, you've, you've dealt with the historic data, then scanning documents in and just putting them into the repository seems to be the pattern that, that most organizations then follow. And then that, of course, raises the further question: How do you then keep on top of this this ever-growing pile of 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 information?
0: Yeah, and then so now we've gotten rid of the muck, the scum, the the rot data that we didn't want. So how do we get everyone onto the same page when looking at all of the available data? That I mean, this seems like a difficult task, especially when you have two shipping containers and you choose "Eh, maybe we will identify what's relevant. I mean, even between groups in the same organization. What must be identified to ensure that the data being used can be translated across the entirety of organizational systems?
1: Oh, that's a really, a really, really good challenge of all the stuff that you need to be worried about. Let me sort of dig into this as a kind of an interesting way to, to consider it. Let, let's imagine you have, you have processed, you brought in all of this data, and you, have, you, have, uh, you want to get everybody onto the same page of how they, how they use it um so 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 part of the challenge is uh, s- some of the data that you may have uh, collected will have uh, a variety of different um uh it, collect, collected over time for, by a variety of different people in a variety of different processes and sometimes without even the basic rules in place to govern that data and here's just a fun example you go into your your computer system and and uh, you, you where you have recorded the the name of the company you're doing a, a counterpart you're doing some transactions with the case might be bp well how is that put into the, your system was <laughs> it put in as british petroleum was it bp no periods was it bp with a space in between <clears throat> is, it, is it british pet is it BPX, the stocks market symbol? Is it BPPLC, the registered um, uh, entity on the, uh, from, a, from a corporate standpoint? Um, and taking that even further, was it BP Texas, BP uh, in, um, uh, in uh, Colorado, was it BP Canada, is it BP South Africa? Uh, what, what, and what's the, what's the relationship between all of these companies? Uh, so that you, uh, you know, when, the, when you say, well, I want to show me the totality of my involvement with BP, the, they, they all roll up correctly. You, you, when you start digging into data in systems, what you find is this—this this, uh, what we call this metadata about the data. So I'm, I'm gonna keep company name. Well, these are the only permitted ways that I can record company name. And very often that, that metadata is, is not well thought through. So you end up with this, uh, this phenomenon. Uh, you have uh, uh, the sum of the data uh, captured, company name, and uh, it's, co- it's all over the map. So you can't sort it or find it correctly. Uh, and then uh, in other cases, the, the, uh, the, the, the real information you want might in fact be buried in the data itself. So here's our, our, our interesting example, mm-hmm. a <laughs> picture of, of you, Tavis. Um, that's how, how Apple is uh, accessing uh, uh, the photographs. It, it knows it, the metadata is Tavis, your name, but the, the actual data that it knows that it's you is, is actually embedded in the picture. It, it uses facial recognition to, to to find you. This level of sophistication is is real and it's coming hard. And in many cases, the historic data assets in on a gas are simply not ready to cope with all, all of this change.
0: And then gotten rid of that terrible data. We found out how to secure metadata to work the data monster for us and reduce it from a snarling beast into just a slightly intimidating bit. Are there any resources available to organizations cleaning up their data? I mean, sort of, uh, I guess, larger macro organizations. And if so, what do those organizations do?
1: Well, one of the, uh, th- there's no question that this, I mean, this is not a new problem in oil and gas. And as I mentioned, the, uh, the OSDU is just one example of an organization that's working hard to try and rationalize the data challenge to enable um, uh, business transactions to take place. But there are a number of organizations that are that are going down this path. Uh, so uh, just some examples, the PPDM, the Professional, Professional Petroleum Data model Management Organization, has produced a, a, the, a what's called uh, by shorthand, the PPDM, the, mo- the model of, of data. This is the, the metadata and how all of the data uh, elements uh, relate to each other. Uh, Energistics uh, is another organization that is advocating for the adoption of, of uh, uh, data standards, technical open data standards to help the oil and gas industry. Um, the uh, o- OPC Foundation is another one. And if you went around the world to various uh, oil and gas basins, you'd find um, uh, lots and lots of organizations that are uh, tackling this, uh, this question uh, of, of data standards to enable um, uh, business to operate more fluidly. The, the, the key though and i think this is summarized nicely here is the faster we deal with these adoption of standards the better it is for everyone in the industry there's no there's no question about that but it mm-hmm. it, it is a it is slow going uh, because of this huge inertia uh, uh, with the uh, legacy systems and how they're how they're built and designed
0: and then at this point we have taken that data monster and reduced it into well a less intimidating set that can be employable for the employees as a tool to better enhance resource output and uh, simplify a lot of communication so this is only part one of the episode we're gonna have to cut it here because things are getting long and we'll present part two later but from this part if you had to summarize the most important bits of what we have just discussed what would you want to highlight
1: well the critical takeaways for me um start from uh the point of uh number one data quality is 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 uh, critical Number two, um, this question of data and data structure and, and metadata and understanding that um, is a, a, an important skill set that needs to be part of, of the future. Uh, in, when you think about the pace and the uh, uh, growth of data and the range that's, that's mushrooming, that skill set becomes uh, ever, more, ever more critical. Uh, and third is, you know, th- there, there is a lot of trivial, obsolete and, and uh, redundant data in, in data sets and uh, any efforts to remove all of that, uh, that rot um, uh, will, will generate some value um, down the road. And then finally, uh, I, I'd advocate to be quite surgical. You know, you, you, um, there's no, Don't boil the ocean, find a small number <laughs> of, of data sets that are gonna make a big difference and concentrate on those.
0: All right. And I think that is where we will close the episode out. So thank you everybody for joining us for part one of this series. Be sure to subscribe because we're going to build on these ideas. It's going to evolve. It's going to continue to grow. So as always, plenty of opportunities to grow and learn. We've got Jeffrey's website, plenty of blog posts, his book, Bits, Bites and Barrels. If you haven't read it at this point, I can't understand why you haven't. Clearly there is benefit to reading and growing and moving into this digital age and just being a little bit stubborn so check that out you can get physical copies physical copies digital copies even audiobook copies i'll be sure to include that and then we've got rare petro on the other side as well publishing plenty of oil field specific knowledge markets how they change general news on mondays please join us we'd love to have you and jeffrey anything else you'd like to say before we close out the episode
1: I uh, no but uh, good luck with your data journey. It's uh, this is a uh, this it's a, it, it is a critical part of a digital future is to be good at handling data.
0: All right. Like you said, it's a journey, but join us on this journey and until we see you next time, take care everybody.